0: How many of you are ready to learn how to understand your Bible better? Amen. Now, let me let me ask a, a question. Just be honest, because I, I, I can amen this. Or, how many of you have felt like at times the Bible just didn't, you couldn't connect the dots, it didn't make much sense, especially reading through the Old Testament, amen. especially the book of Leviticus, <laughs> or book of Numbers, or, you know, but... You know, I'm almost ashamed to say that it took me a long time as a believer to really connect the dots and understand the overarching theme. Um, what I have said before, the, the warp and woof of the scripture, uh, it, that it's a continuum. It, it's not, you know, fragmented or, or one part disassociated from the other, but it's a, it's an overall theme. It is, it is 66 books that all agree with each other. And they're all going somewhere to the same place. And they have the same theme, the same thrust, the same meaning, the same purpose. So I'm going to do that for you. I wish somebody had done it for me way back when. So let's pray together. Father, we just thank you that you gave us the holy word of God. Lord, we know this is your Bible, your word. And, Lord, it's a supernatural book, and it's an amazing book. And we just pray that tonight you would help me to communicate effectively and the congregation to hear effectively how you put the Bible together and what its purpose and meaning are and how all those dots are indeed connected. Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to understand. Will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, "Lord, change my view of the Word of God. Upgrade it. Help me to understand it. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen." We'll turn to somebody and tell them, "I believe God heard that prayer." Amen. I have never heard anybody equate or associate Valentine's with bacon. Leave it to a child, amen? (laughs) Let me quickly say, Cindy is home. She has the flu. And so, sweetie, we miss you. Everybody say hi, Cindy. We miss you. All right. Uh, She's on the other side of getting better, but boy, it has been an ordeal. Um, So, now, would you agree that if a supernatural being a self-sufficient, self-reliant, all-powerful, intelligent, always existing, unique, good, and moral God who loves his creation were to write a book, then it would be the most amazing book ever written. Amen. Come on. If the God of the creation, the God of the universe, the God who created all things decided to write a book, would that be a bestseller or what? And you know what? It is the all-time bestseller. And it is for a reason because it was breathed out by God. God, isn't that amazing? God gave us a book to read. Isn't that amazing? So that's why I'm just going to begin this series on understanding the Bible. I want to tell you from my own heart, and I have been this, had this conviction for as long as I can remember, that the Bible is the very word of the living God. And you can trust it always. Amen? And in this study, I'm going to help you understand God's book with God's help, uh, the Bible, how to connect the dots from Genesis to Revelation, because there is uh, a continuum, a continuity all the way through. Now, we are going to see the overarching purpose of Scripture is to point to Jesus Christ. Please get that. From Genesis to Revelation, the overarching purpose of the Bible is to point to Jesus Christ. Uh, And and nobody clarified this more than Jesus himself. Let me let Jesus speak for himself. Remember when those two men had left Jerusalem and they were on the road to Emmaus. I've often said, you know, they were on the road to Emmaus because they were blown away, didn't know what to uh, make of the crucifixion. For them, their whole world has crashed. So they're getting out of town and they're going to this little bitty town uh, um, a few miles from Jerusalem and They're in a mess. That's why I say, if you're headed to Emmaus, you're in Emmaus. (laughs) I'm going to let that sink in for a little bit, because some of you are still going. Okay. And the people that get stuck in Emmaus are really in Emmaus. Because they didn't stay there long. When they've been with Jesus for a while, they headed back to Jerusalem where the action was. So some of you watching, you haven't been in church in a while. You're in Emmaus. I'm having fun already. So let's look at what he said to these two men. He spoke with these two men on the road to Emmaus following his death and resurrection. They were completely confused and blown away by what had happened. And Jesus rebuked them for their unbelief and told them in one powerful verse what the Bible is primarily all about. This is from the mouth of Christ himself. Watch this. Luke 24, 25. He said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now look at verse 27 carefully. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them. What a Bible study this was. He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So according to Jesus Christ, how much of the scriptures speak of him? Everybody say the word. All. All. All the scriptures. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Job, Song of Solomon, Habakkuk, Haggai, you name it. They all, they all speak of him. And as he neared the end of his talk with these two men, he repeated the same thing. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. In other words, you should have been listening to me when I was with you, before I was crucified. That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Where, everybody? Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That's virtually the entire Old Testament. Concerning who? Me. And he opened their understanding. Oh, may Jesus do this tonight. Open our understanding, because only he can do it. He opened their understanding. Can we just breathe a prayer and say, "Lord, Lord, open my understanding. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. In other words, they needed supernatural help to understand the word of God. Now, in light of these two quotes, what did these two men comprehend about the scriptures during their walk with Jesus? Here's what they learned. That there's one ultimate purpose, one compelling theme, one burning focus of the scriptures. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the silver thread that runs through every book of the Bible. It's all about him. No wonder they said, did not our hearts burn within us? while he walked with us and talked with us along the way and opened to us the scriptures. See, when you spend time with God and he opens the word of God to you, I guarantee you, you're gonna have a case of Holy Ghost heartburn. I lo- Listen, I don't get out of the word every day till I've got heartburn of the good kind. Amen? The Old Testament anticipates him. The gospels manifest him. The book of Acts proclaims him. The epistles explain him. And the revelation predicts his return. It's all about him. Can we say that together? It's all about him. From cover to cover, the Bible is about Jesus. Wow. Now, in the next few weeks, I want to take a quick sweep through the high points of the Bible. We're going to use as our stepping stones seven covenants God made with his people in the scriptures, now let me tell you what a covenant is. It's real simple. It's a promise made by God to do a certain thing. That's a covenant. Can we say that together: A covenant is a promise made by God to do a certain thing. How many of you know He's a covenant-making God? How many of you know He's a covenant-keeping God? How many of you are believing Him that one day you're going to go to heaven based on His covenant? Amen. So all of us sitting here have have believed. That our God makes covenants and keeps His promises now, the seven covenants God made fall into three categories. very important, I want you to because this is going to be our like I said, our stepping stones let 's say we're we're crossing a, a river and and we have seven stones to walk across to get to the other side, and these are going to be the covenants they are going to help us mark mark the promises of God and walk our way through. The entire Bible. So the seven covenants fall into three categories. There's three kinds of covenants: conditional, unconditional, and general. Now let me tell you what they mean. Conditional covenants are based on certain obligations and prerequisites. What that means is a conditional covenant is God says to us, if you do this, I'll do that. If you don't do this, I won't do that. Simple. All right. If the requirements of the covenant are not fulfilled, then the covenant is null and void. And, and God doesn't have to say, I'm sorry. He just has to say, I told you so. If you, if, if P then Q, if you do this, I'll do that. All right. Everybody got it. That's conditional covenants. And as we go through these covenants, I'm going to tell you what kind they are. Okay. The second kind is unconditional. I love unconditional covenants because they're made with no strings attached and they'll be kept regardless of one's fidelity or infidelity to the covenant. In other words, we can mess up and God still keeps his covenant. I like that kind. How many of you like that kind? So it has nothing to do with my performance or my obedience. It's God saying, I'm going to do it. No matter what men do, I'm going to do it. No matter what the devil does, I'm going to do it. It's going to happen because I say so. That's an unconditional covenant. And then there's general covenants. And they are not specific to one people group. And they can involve a wide range of people. Greatest example is the new covenant, the one that we're living in now. Ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ is a general covenant made first to Israel then to the whole world it applies to the whole world for whosoever calls on the name of the lord shall be saved god so loved the world that whoever that he gave his only begotten son that whoever 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 that's everybody Amen. believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life that's that's the new covenant yeah. covenant okay So everybody say conditional, unconditional, general. So some of God's covenants or promises are to all people and some are limited, limited to uh, Israel. And sometimes I'm made very aware that we in the church need to understand that some of the things we read in the Bible weren't promises made to us. They were made to Israel, not to us. Okay. That's old testament covenants and i'll get to that as we go through this series now let me go through the seven covenants just name them list them and here they are the adamic covenant the noaic covenant the abrahamic covenant palestinian covenant mosaic covenant davidic covenant and the new covenant that's the seven clearly god is a covenant making god Because there's seven right there. Amen? Now, let's dive in. Starting in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we find four gigantic defining moments in the history of the world. If you go from Genesis 1 through 11, these four huge epic events are found. The creation, the fall, the great flood... And the Tower of Babel. Okay? Four epical, epic, defining moments in the history of mankind. Now, I don't really want to go into all of them tonight. I want to focus on the catastrophic fall of man. Because that's what set the whole Bible into motion. The catastrophic fall of man into sin. We really need to understand this, okay? We need to understand the gravity of the fall, the heaviness of the fall, the the far-reaching repercussions of the fall. God had warned the first couple. Here's where it all began. He created Adam and Eve, and he has one thou shalt not out of all kinds of thou can do's. There's one thou cannot do, just one. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. Now, I think there was a bunch of trees out there. He's looking at a beautiful potpourri of trees that he can go and pluck the fruit from anytime he wants, but there's just one that's forbidden that one tree. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, because guess what, Adam? Be forewarned. In the day you eat of it, you're going to die. Now, let's flip the coin. If you don't eat it, you will never die. Amen. You with me? If you don't eat it, you will never die. But if you eat it, you will die. This was God's warning of what would happen if they transgressed his word. You will die. Predictably, this is the very warning that Satan refuted and debated with Eve about when he came to tempt her. Then the serpent said to the woman, listen to this. The gall of this devil. Listen to him. You won't die. Now, God has just said to them, you will die. Here comes Satan, a created being. You're not going to die. God knows. Now, there he is slamming the character of God. He's sowing doubt into her mind. God knows. He hadn't told you, eat, but here's what he knows. Then the day you eat of it. Your eyes are going to be open. Everybody say, he's he's saying something good will happen to her. You see, that's what temptation, temptation always promises something good if you do it. You'll have fun. You'll be happy. You'll have peace. You'll have fulfillment. There's a promise tucked away in every temptation. Look, he says to Eve, your eyes are going to be open. You'll be like God knowing good and evil. And God knows that. So Eve, he is holding back from you. You can't trust him. Well, the Bible sadly records that Eve believed the devil and ate. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's the lust of the eyes, that it was pleasant to the eyes. Well, actually, when she saw that the tree was good, tree was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, that's the lust of the eyes. And a tree desirable to make one wise, that's, that is uh, what James talked about when he said, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Amen. Those are the three weapons of Satan in every temptation. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Eve, you're gonna be like God, that's the pride of life. Well, she took of its fruit. She's standing there at the one tree God said don't do. And that's the one she's hung up on. That one you shouldn't date. That one place you shouldn't go. That one thing you shouldn't try. Yeah, And then she also gave to her husband and he ate. Immediately, they both found out the hard way that Satan was a liar and God had told her the truth. A few short chapters later, Genesis records the appearance of death on the human race. Genesis 5, 3, and Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. Now look what it says in verse 5. God is letting us know right here, I told the first couple the truth, and they didn't listen, and now I'm showing you what happened. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. Read the last three words with me. And he died. The rest of chapter 5 contains the phrase, and he died six more times regarding six more people. Satan lied, man died. Satan lied. The Bible is telling us in Genesis 5, loud and clear, the whole chapter is is the death chapter. It's telling us people died. He's he's making sure we get it. He never lies to you and me. If he says, you do that, you're going to die. You do that, you're going to get this consequence or that. you You can bet it's true. Well... As you go through the Bible, you begin to see that the entire human race came under the curse of death. This was never God's plan or will. Every time I do a funeral, preside over a funeral, I am so very aware it was never God's will for broken-hearted loved ones to lean into a casket and say goodbye. Never. Flip it. If you don't eat of it, you won't die man would have lived forever that's what christ came to do restore to us what was lost in the fall so whoever believes on him has what kind of life eternal that was god's original plan so paul writes he lets us know when adam sinned romans 5:12 sin entered the entire human race his sin spread death throughout all the world so everything everything began to grow old and die for all sin. When you look in the mirror and you see those new wrinkles, you can thank Adam. Hmm. How many of you want to have a talk with him when you get into heaven? Amen. Thanks, Adam. All right. The entire human race came under the curse of death. His intent, God's intent had been to create a paradise on earth and to enjoy fellowship with the human race. That was his original plan. In the beginning, we find God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, calling out their names. That's how close and familiar he was with the first couple. Isn't that beautiful? But, you know, we can do that now with Jesus. I come to the garden alone. While the dew is still on the roses, and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, none other has ever known. How's that made possible? The blood of Christ. He restored us to fellowship with God. Amen. Amen. Now, so death came on the human race, but mankind isn't the only thing that was affected by the fall. The entire Creation was affected by the fall. First, we note that God created all living mammals and mankind to live off of plants. I want to say vegetarian, but I don't want you to think that I'm against meat eating because I had some before I got here, and I'm going to have some when I leave. I had some beef right back there, and I thank God for it. I praise the Lord Jesus for it. And I can get right there with that little boy and say, happy Valentine. I love bacon. (laughs) Amen. But, But I want you to see that the original plan of God was not the animals would attack each other, tear each other apart, and eat one another. He did not create a carnivorous mammal population or human population. I can prove it to you. Look at Genesis 1. And God says at the dawn of creation, Genesis 1, 29, look, I have given you, he's talking to mankind, talking to Adam, the seed-bearing plants throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for what, everyone? Your food. And I've given all the grass and plants to the animals and birds for what? Their food. That's all lions, tigers, and bears. There was no carnivorous activity. Before the fall. After the fall, a, a huge change came upon God's creation that was to me tragic. And to the word of God, very tragic. We, we don't understand the import of what what happened when they partook of this tree and, and sin entered the human race. Paul goes on to tell us about the creation. Even the whole creation, he says in Romans eight nineteen, even the whole creation, all of nature waits eagerly for the children of God to be revealed. That means for Christ to come and us to enter into the glory he purchased for us. Amen. For the creation was subjected to frustration and futility, not willingly because of some intentional fault on its part, but by the will of him who subjected it to frustration and futility. In hope that the creation itself will also be freed from its bondage to decay. That means death and decay. And gain entrance into the glorious freedom of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, everything out there, the whole creation of God has been moaning together as in the pains of childbirth. Now, what kind of a pain is childbirth? That's major. The whole creation can't wait for Jesus to blow the trumpet and come. Yes. Amen. And, and, the, and the people of God to be taken into their glory because then Isaiah said the lion will once again lay down with the lamb. Yeah. All carnivorous activity will be gone. And the creation will be restored to the original intent of God. And they're moaning and groaning and waiting and longing for that, though they are but animals insects, fish, there's something in them they know it's not right. This is not what our creator intended. Heavy stuff. Now, the book of Genesis is a book of firsts. It records the first birth, first murder, the first sin, the first couple, and it also contains the first blame game. When God comes on the scene and wants Adam to confess his sin, Adam blames Eve. All you men say amen. Amen. Look what happened here. (laughs) This is almost funny if it weren't so sad. But he said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the forbidden tree and I ate. Now God's wanting him to fess up and own what he did. But he's not just blaming Eve. If you really look at it, there's also a veiled jab at God himself. The woman you gave me. In other words, if you hadn't given her to me, I'd be just fine. If she hadn't walked into my life, if you had not walked her up to me, I was just fine until you brought her along. Oh, how many men have said that since then, right? And, and so have women about their man now. Well, the woman hears this, hears Adam passing the buck to her. So she immediately passes the buck to the devil. She says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The serpent looked around and he didn't have anybody to blame. But I want you to notice how God makes every one of his, every one of the perpetrators own up to their part in the sin. He doesn't allow any of them to play victim. If I hadn't been raised the way I was, and if that person hadn't dissed me in second grade, if I hadn't had that horrible third grade teacher who ran me down, then I would not have become a serial killer. No, 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 we got to get to the point where, folks, we own it. We own our part. If we if we sin, if there's a sin in our life, we had to go along with it. Nobody. Flip Wilson had it all wrong when he said the devil made me do it. Devil doesn't make you do anything. We're all tempted when we are drawn away by our own lust and enticed. James said, "We're drawn away of our own our own lust and enticed." So God says, all of you are going to have to reap some consequences for what you did. So he turns to the woman. He says, you're going to experience pain and sorrow in bringing forth children. How many of you ladies can say, Oh, I know that's right. And then he said to the man, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. Now, he was tilling a garden before the fall, but it was not sweat laborious kind of, it was different. It was different. I know that it was different because now God's describing the way work is today. You're going to work by the sweat of your brow. Thorns and thistles springing up in the field of your labor. And then you're going to return to the dust. Die. Thorns and thistles representing as you labor, as you work, there's going to be problems. There's going to be things sticking you. There's going to be issues. It's going to be a. Uh, it's going to be not an enjoyable thing all the time to work. Now I love work. I do. I love what I do. I am in manual labor. <laughs> but I I love and believe me, I work at it. Amen. But I love it. There is a, there is a fulfillment that comes from work. The Bible says, "Any man doesn't work, he shall not eat." Amen. Now. He comes to the devil. Here's where I'm going. This is very important. When he comes to Satan, we have something major happening. He delivers the first prophecy of the Bible, which some have called the gospel in the garden because it's a prediction of the coming of Jesus Christ. It's here that we find the first covenant, the Adamic covenant. Can we say the Adamic covenant? Here's the first covenant, the first prophecy Because the book of Genesis is the book of first. First prophecy, first covenant. Here it is. It's the first prophecy and the first covenant because it has to do with Jesus Christ coming. It's Genesis 3.15. This covenant is a general covenant. And it's also an unconditional covenant. Because no man and no devil is able or has ever been able or ever will be able to stop the coming of Christ and the world ending at the feet of Christ and Christ ruling the universe one day. Nothing can stop that. But let's read what God tells the serpent. He says, I will put enmity. That means hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now here sits Eve, Eve, Eve. I, I don't know if she heard this, but. God is going from Adam to Eve to the devil, just one, two, three. So she may have heard this. I believe she did hear it. I believe she was aware of it. He said, see that woman? I'm going to put hostility between your seed devil and her seed, capital S. He, her seed, shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. Now, notice the seed of the woman is capitalized because the seed God is talking about that would spell the devil's demise is Messiah Jesus. Messiah Jesus. Way back in the ancient Garden of Eden, God makes this prediction. God prophesies. God said that Satan would bruise his heel, which happened at the crucifixion when the spike went through his heel. Get that? But he, Jesus, would bruise the devil's head, which points to a death blow. You you have your heel bruised and live, but you have your head receive a heavy blow. That's the death blow. In other words, the damage done is way worse to the devil than to Christ. Jesus delivered him a death blow by shedding his blood where he defeated death. The Bible says, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? Why does it say that? Because when Jesus shed his innocent blood, when the devil orchestrated the death, the execution of a totally innocent man, an innocent blood shed, then the devil spelled his own doom. Really, the devil committed suicide when he orchestrated the death of Jesus. And it gets heavier. Now, now listen carefully to me. The remainder of the entire Bible is the outworking of this prophecy. The first covenant, Genesis 3.15, it contains God's plan of salvation. Scripture goes so far as to say that it was literally decreed in heaven before the world was even created. Wow. Now we're getting into mind-bending pretzel kind of stuff. Okay? But watch this. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.4 about you and me. He chose us in him, that is Jesus, before the foundation of the world. I hear your wheels turning because you can't go there, can you? So let me just tell you what this is saying. God saw you, you. He saw you before the world began. Well, Pastor Jeff, the world's been around a really long time. But guess what? God doesn't abide in time. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees the end of a thing before the beginning begins. He's already sees you in heaven. The Bible already sees you in heaven. As far as the Bible is concerned, you're already hidden away in Christ in heaven. You just haven't gotten there yet in time and space. But as far as God's concerned, you're there. You're there. He's already said hello to you. Listen to John's revelation. He's talking about the Antichrist here. Everyone living on earth will worship it. The it is the beast or Antichrist. Everyone whose name is not written in the book of life, they will be the ones worshiping the Antichrist. And then he says, that book, the book of life, belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the creation of the world. Well, we know that he wasn't slaughtered before the creation of the world. He was slaughtered 2,100 years ago, right? He was killed on the cross, but not in God's mind. In God's mind, when the decree was made that Christ would die for our sins, way back in eternity past, no telling how far back, then it was a done deal. The outworking of it was only a matter of protocol. It was done because he sees the end before the beginning begins. He sees you as an old person walking around. He saw you as a little baby getting spanked the first time. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knew exactly what you were going to be like, look like, live like when you would come to Christ. He knew. God informs us through Isaiah the prophet that he says, quote, only I, this is God talking, only I can tell you the future. Before it even happens, everything I plan will come to pass because I do whatever I want. If anybody can do what they want, it's God. Now, there's one thing impossible with God. Let me tell you what it is. He cannot break an unconditional covenant. His character won't let him. So it's impossible with God. So before God ever said, let there be light, Jesus' death on the cross was already a done deal in heaven. It was already done. He was slaughtered before the foundation of the world. Peter says the same thing. Christ was chosen even before the world was created. But because of you, he didn't come until these last days. There was a time and a season for his arrival. So Jesus Christ was slain in the Father's eternal counsels. And it was decreed by the Godhead that God the Son, watch this, this is so powerful. It was decreed by the Godhead that God the Son would come to earth via a virgin birth to die for the sins of mankind in order to redeem us from death and eternal destruction. It was all decreed and ratified and done before God said, let there be light. Everybody say heavy. Say, my mind's a pretzel, but I believe it because God says it, right? That's why God never says, oops, or, well, I'll be. He never says, well, I'll be. Did you know that, Jesus? I didn't know that. Listen, every move you make, he saw you make it before the world began. Wow. So let's recap. Before moving on, in Genesis 3.15, the gospel in the garden, God's first covenant, Genesis 3.15 reveals three things. Satan would ultimately be crushed. The agent of the crushing, Jesus Christ, would come through the seed of the woman. And the victory over Satan would only be possible through suffering on the part of the crusher, Jesus Christ, whose heel would be bruised by the spike that nailed him to the cross. Did you know that for centuries, Genesis 3.15 was the only star of hope that God's people had before more Bible came and they clung to it tightly? Amen? Amen. Because they didn't have a Bible until Moses. Hello, everybody. They didn't have a Bible. But Adam and Eve passed on the word. Hey, there's going to be a bruiser of Satan's head. The devil's got an enemy coming and it's going to be through the seed of Eve. But that's all they knew. And they hung on to it. God's going to send an answer for our big mistake. Come on, everybody. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise tonight? (laughs) Amen, amen. Now, as the Bible unfolds, we see that the Genesis 3.15 promise immediately comes under attack by Satan, who tries to destroy the entire human race through worldwide corruption. Genesis records that mankind quickly began to spiral It is such evil that God was forced to say these words. My spirit will not always strive with man forever, Genesis 6, 3. For he is indeed flesh, yet his days are going to be 120 years. And this is the announcement God made that mankind had 120 years to repent before judgment fell in the form of the great flood. He said, I'm giving you 120 years to repent. Then in verses 5 through 7 in chapter 6, we're told why the human race had come to this dark point. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I used to read that and go, wow, that's really evil until today. But if you can be in New York in 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 the Senate chamber and the governor of New York signs a bill that you can kill a baby after it's been born, And they all stand up and cheer. Folks, please wake up. That is telling us that our culture is on the bottom rung. So I used to read, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every thought that he thought was only evil continued. I used to think, wow, not anymore. Because I think we're watching the whole world get there again. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I'll destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now, in order to keep, watch this, his Genesis 3.15 covenantal promise to destroy the serpent and send a redeemer, God had to have a remnant to perpetuate the human race. And he found that remnant in Noah, who Genesis six eight, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, please understand that if he had not called Noah, Genesis three fifteen, that covenant would have become a broken promise, because there wouldn't have been anybody to, to fulfill it. No, no more human beings. They would have all been destroyed in judgment. So God called Noah told him of his intent to destroy the inhabited world with a flood, and God commanded him to build the ark. And you know the rest of this story. After 120 years of warning on Noah's part, God commanded Noah, his wife, and his three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and their wives to enter the ark. The rain falls, the floodwaters rise, and the entire planet, minus marine life, perished. Now, yet two of every species of creatures God created survive by being in the ark. And after Noah and his family vacate the ark, this is very important, his three sons and their wives repopulate the earth. All of us here came from Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Isn't that heavy? Now, And it is here we find the second covenant God made, the Noahic covenant. Let's say Noahic. Noahic. I heard one guy say Noahic, and it's it's kind of hard. It's Noahic. The Noahic uh, covenant. Here's where you find it right here, second covenant of the Bible. He said, yes, I'm confirming my covenant with you. He said to Noah. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Not ever again. But he didn't say fire. He said water. Then God said, I'm going to give you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. So for the first time since man had been created, there was a rainbow. You say, well, wait a minute, Jeff. There had to be rainbows before that. No, because it didn't rain Amen. before that. It says a mist came up from the earth and watered all the plants. Rain came after the great flood. Because, listen, when the great flood happened, that's the first rain that ever fell. Yeah. So, do you really believe that? Well, yes, I believe it. I mean some of you believe evolution, good lord, help us. Seriously, I mean, come on. If you believe that we came from some ancient single-celled amoeba that crawled out of some primordial soup and sprouted legs and arms and then and then uh became other species and we we know that one species can't give birth or produce another species. But anyway, I'm not going into evolution. I'm just saying, of course I believe it. Why? Because God's word says it. But it's, it's really does, it's, it really doesn't. It makes sense. There's no reason scientifically to not believe it. it. A mist came from the earth and watered everything. But when Noah got into the ark, something came out of the sky that had never been seen. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the, of the Son of Man... Well, the similarity is when Jesus returns, something is going to appear in the sky that has never before been rain in Noah's day, Christ in our day. Something unprecedented will happen. I mean, I have intellectually, scientifically, I have no reason to not believe that. Why, you know, it's not a mind bender to believe that that could be true, that God originally made it that way. So when it rained, there was the first rainbow. And God said, every time you see that, I want you to know that I've made a covenant with you that a flood will never wipe out the earth again. Amen. That's a covenant. And at this point, we see God's plan of salvation promised in Genesis 3.15. That's why I went into all this with you, because I want you to see the outworking of Genesis 3.15 continue to sovereignly unfold. Of Noah's three sons, it is Shem's lineage that God chooses as the line to bring forth the Messiah. Shem's lineage becomes what the Bible calls the righteous lineage. It is Shem's lineage, one of Noah's three sons. Shem's lineage, of whom it is said in Genesis 4, 26, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And that happened in the days of Seth, the same lineage as Shem. So I want you to see see tonight, here comes the promise. All right, there's been this terrible, catastrophic fall. Now everything I made living is going to die. Not just men, but animals, birds, insects, marine life, it's all going to die. So here's my covenant with you. I'm going to send forth one who is going to bruise the serpent's head. What did the serpent bring to the world? Death, hell, and the grave. And God said, I'm going to send someone who's going to undo death, Deliver you from hell and call you out of your grave. Amen? So I want you to see the outworking that the devil tried to wipe out the human race in the days of Noah. And he almost succeeded, except God had Noah, Mrs. Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, their wives, and an ark. He saved two of every species on the ark, and he saved the human race on the ark. And Jesus is the ark of the new covenant. Now, after they landed, and I close with this, after the, the, the ark finally settled on ground again and they departed from the ark, Ham, Shem, and Japheth repopulated the earth, but Shem's line was chosen. To continue the outworking of the plan of salvation. And that's what the Bible is all about from Genesis to Revelation. The outworking of the plan, the fulfillment of the plan, the execution of the plan, the glory of the plan, and the consummation of the plan. It's all about Jesus Christ. Amen? Can we stand together tonight? Amen. Everybody say the plan. The plan, the plan, the plan. Aren't you glad that you're in the new covenant part? Amen. I am so glad that I'm not back there. Oh, I don't know any, any part of the old Testament. I wouldn't have cared to be there, but I would love to see David kill Goliath. I would have liked to have been there for that. And I can name a few high points of what I'd like to see. But I'm so glad we're living in the new covenant under a better promise, a better Savior, a better mediator, a better blood, a better, better, better everything. Amen? Amen. So let's lift our hands to the Lord Jesus and thank him, Lord. thank